This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. we got to get to a more sophisticated place where 911 can dispatch different kinds of services for different issues um, appropriately. That's a systems change. And we got to really understand what's driving these disproportionate impacts to really get at the systems issues. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. Today on Crossing Division, I am absolutely delighted to have Pierce County Council Member Ryan Mello joining me. So Ryan, thank you for being a guest on Crossing Division and how are things going? It's going well. Happy New Year, Evelyn. Um, it's been great. Thanks for having me. Good. Excellent. So we, we are on a limited schedule this morning, so I'm just going to jump right in and ask you, um, you were on the city council in Tacoma for eight years. Now you're on the county council. How are things different? What are you finding that is different from uh, being on the city council? Yeah, so um, it, it's, you know, I wanted to serve on the county council because a lot of the issues we've been working on for a long time at the city uh, really need to be tackled at a regional level to have major impact. Uh, I've I learned that really clearly in Tacoma. Um, you know, Tacoma certainly needs to do its part and exert leadership as the largest city uh, in the county. And these issues of affordable housing and homelessness and transportation, these are regional issues and aren't going to be solved at the artificial political boundaries of the city. So um, I've been eager to get at these issues on a more regional basis. So that's what, um, you know, that's, that's what we're up to. Um, and I've, uh, um, you know, that's what we've been starting to work on. So um, what's, what's like starkly different is the form of government, right? <clears throat> You're a student of, of government yourself. And so, you know, being in an environment where I'm one of nine, where the pretty, you know, the issues are are complicated, but pretty straightforward direction to the county, uh, to the to the city manager, and she moves forward. Um, here, uh, it's it's you know, it's really a policy making role, and we have the power of the purse, of course. But you're working with a completely different, independently elected branch of government, and so navigating that has been the the biggest change. I know that sounds, uh, you know weird but uh or arcane but um uh, i know you can appreciate that evelyn yeah i can't and actually that doesn't surprise me too much that's kind of what i thought but um tell me how it has surprised you um the difference of working with the county administration um and the council um you know politics partisan politics it is a little bit more apparent in county government in part because there are letters next to our name. Um, I My hope would be that, you know, these issues really are not truly partisan issues at, in local government for the most part. Um, but I think because we have letters next to our name, it does play into it a, a little bit, uh, definitely more than uh, my how I've observed it in city government. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, 
I would think there's sort of um, partisan and then big partisan, right? So, like, it's one thing if you are working on policy issues with someone who says, look, you know, I respect where you're coming from. I just think that the more we can free up the business community to do things, the better it is for everyone. And you might say, no, I hear where you're coming from. I just think that government has to play a role in making sure everyone gets services. I mean, you can have a collaborative policymaking discussion that way. Is that what's going on or are you seeing more party party stuff? What you explained is really a lot of what goes on. And certainly, I think folks who, who affiliate with a different party have a different approach. Some folks... Um, on the conservative side of the political spectrum thinks that any kind of regulation or additional taxes will harm jobs and make businesses shudder. Um, others think that there needs to be, you know, on the other side of the political spectrum, tend to think that there needs to be some more sideboards and a strong safety net. And we can't leave everything to chance and everything to the uh, invisible hand of the free market. And they, th those are tend to be uh, policy approaches from different sides of the political spectrum. And they definitely play out in county government. Um, you know, we've had the, the recent, um, you know, last year, the, as I observed the county council, right, the investment of $158 million of CARES Act dollars, how you go about allocating those dollars um, did and can, continue to show where your biases are in terms of what are the right investments, what are the right approaches to helping to support more, more folks. So it, it plays out, but, but more subtly like how you um, just observed. And, you know, that's, I think that's how I, and I think this council and this majority is trying to approach it, not from a hard partisan perspective, but uh, okay. Um, you know, um, it, maybe not get at, you know, climate change has been uh, deemed by some a hyper-partisan issue. We're trying to reduce the temperature in the room, no pun intended, on climate change and approach it from all of the many co-benefits. You know, let's, let's, uh, we, we, we talk a lot about the, the public health benefits, the clean air benefits, the, how it does improve uh, the local business economy, when people live in walking distance to all the services they need um, and how they can live healthier lives when they can walk around their neighborhood and access open space and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we've been trying to um, pivot to co-benefits on multiple things, uh, health, economy, climate, and talk about it in the positive and, and not approach it from a partisan perspective. Mm-hmm. I know you had a recent uh, council retreat um, that was designed to help shape priorities for the for the year. How did that go, and what priorities came out of that process? Um, really strong priorities around housing, homelessness, uh, making government work for more folks. So, do you know? Do we have the right boards and commissions to advise the council? Um, for example. Um, we're going to be bringing up uh, the time that the you know, longstanding concern about the time the county council does its business with the public. Is that really accessible? So access, so access to government is a priority out of that retreat. Um, uh, job creation, certainly, you know, COVID recovery, absolutely top of mind. Um, 
for out of the retreat um, and really keeping our eye on, on COVID recovery, both the public health and the economic aspects of COVID recovery. Um, and then, you know, public safety, uh, uh, especially as it relates to racial inequalities and disproportionality. Um, th those are the major issues that came out of this retreat. Okay, good. So let me ask you about some things that I consider sort of big um, issues, certainly for Tacoma, but I would say for Pierce County as well. Um, like what sort of projects uh, are either in the works or planned to deal with homelessness in the pandemic? Yeah, so immediately um, our work to approach homelessness in the pandemic is supporting folks from becoming homeless. So of course, many folks losing their jobs or losing their hours are not able to go to work for any number of reasons, um, losing, their, losing their income. Um, and so we will be, the, the thing that we're working on this year is in very early March, the county will be releasing about $56 million worth of uh, rental assistance to support folks um, who need rental assistance. So both, uh, both rent payments and utility payments, both are eligible costs in this program. There'll be a one-stop online portal, of, uh, no matter where you live. If you live in the city, if you live in the county or outside of the city of Tacoma, it'll all get funneled through Pierce County. In the CARES Act, there was a lot of confusion about where do I go to get rental assistance? It's gonna be one portal, um, and we're investing in lots of uh, community-based organizations, trusted community-based organizations like Central Latino and Korean Women's Association and these trusted community-based organizations to uh, get the word out about the opportunity and help provide technical assistance to, to communities so that it could be culturally competent uh, delivery of service. So, so $56 million rental assistance, that's a big part of our homeless prevention work very early on, trying to make that as efficient as possible. Um, you know, making, helping to get money out to partners for emergency shelter. Um, those are the, those are the big uh, homelessness efforts at the moment. Um, we're working on an effort to support the amazing work of the Tacoma Housing Authority for their Arlington Drive Youth Campus work. So this is homelessness service work. Um, Arlington Drive Youth Campus, if you're not familiar, serves young people ages 14 to 24 at a campus here in Tacoma. Is that the, is that the one that's on Puyallup, sort of down the hill from uh, Salishan? Yes, yeah, it's, it's really close to Salishan. Yeah, brand new campus, really intensive, high quality 24-7 services, um, serves a couple of hundred youth a year, but really from all over Southwest Washington, from South King County down to the Oregon border, happens to be in Tacoma. Um, we're leading an effort with Tacoma Housing Authority to get a state appropriation three times the amount of the governor's request. The governor requested about $1 million. Tacoma Housing Authority knows it actually costs four, over $4 million a biennium for just state resources for that. So. We're leading an effort and have great champions in the legislature for that as an example. So that's how an example in local government, how we try to really lean on our relationships in other levels of government, like state government, to um, you know bring back important projects, in this case, in the homelessness space. Mm -hmm. Okay, that sounds really good. 
Well, let me ask you a couple of questions related to that. I talked to city council member John Hines a few weeks ago about homelessness issues. And the city also is putting a lot of resources into preventing people from becoming homeless when they're sort of in precarious living situations or at risk of becoming homeless. And I think that's entirely appropriate. Um, But what did kind of occur to me was, you know, that that means that, again, the people who already have housing are receiving a significant chunk of the benefits related to housing. And that's that still leaves, you know, a a very large number of people who are without housing. Um, And you mentioned, I think, that you were partnering with trusted groups to also deal with homelessness issues. But um, what in particular does the county see as sort of its role in for the people who are living without housing right now? Yeah, so we have work to do to deliver, to build shelters and support shelters outside of Tacoma. So um, I'm of the belief that we need to help finance the shelters in Tacoma because we know that one third of the folks who go into an emergency shelter in the city of Tacoma, you know, they, they ask two questions when you when you enter the emergency shelter system. What is your last known address? And what is the primary reason why you find yourself homeless today? One third of that first question was your last known zip code. Um, one third of the folks entering the homelessness system in Tacoma have a zip code other than Tacoma. Mm-hmm. So we, we know this is a regional issue and we know that other cities in addition to Tacoma and the county need to step up financially uh, to provide emergency the emergency shelter system and safety net um, and not only financing, but places, right? To site shelters. People from Spanaway come to Tacoma. People from Graham come to Tacoma. People from Eatonville come to Tacoma for services. So we need to make sure that there's services closer to where people find themselves homeless to begin with. Um, so that's that's a big thing that we are going to be working on is siting other shelter sites around the county um, and helping to build the political will to for others to finance the system so that the burden does not continue to fall really just on the shoulders of the taxpayers of Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds really good. Uh, when I talked to um, Council Member Hitchin, she mentioned, she said, ask Ryan about shape. And so I don't know anything more about it than that, although I asked you ahead of time and it clearly has something to do with housing, but tell me about shape, what that is. So, um, you know, all the credit goes to my predecessor, Councilmember Connie Ladenberg um, and Mayor Victoria Woodards and Executive Bruce Stanmeyer. They uh, started this about, I, I think, about three or so years ago. SHAPE is an acronym that stands for South Sound Housing Affordability Partnership. Uh, when Connie uh, uh, finished her term, she said, "Hey, this is this is really important to me. This is this has a lot of you know potential for regional collaboration around housing. Can you please make sure that this is a priority of yours?" And I said, "Absolutely." So um, I've joined the steering committee with Mayor Woodards and Executive Dan Meyer. So the three of us are leading this coalition. It's the mayors of all all of the cities and towns in Pierce County, nearly all, you know, maybe save Carbonado and Wilkerson, not because they don't care, but they just don't have the capacity to participate. But 
um, all the ma mayors of cities and towns. Um, there's tribal council leadership with council member Annette Bryan. Um, regional leadership like Ali Maderis from the University of Washington Tacoma, who's an expert in housing policy, as you know, in the state of Washington. So really smart people um, from throughout Pierce County and really high leadership, right? Mayors and um, high level folks. So right now it's, uh, it's we're moving into a formalized collaboration. Um, the thinking is we can do more together if we collaborate instead of, you know, 22 cities and towns in the county running in all separate directions. Uh, so we're moving through an interlocal agreement to formalize what does the, uh, the relationship look like? You know, the big question is what's the there there? What, how are lives going to be made better as a result of this intergovernmental agreement between all these different local governments? And that, you know, that's certainly the, the right question to ask. Uh, you know, collaboration is hard. Uh, people don't want to lose their control, right? People, uh, cities don't want to be told you're going to do it this way or you must zone your land that way. You, you must bring more apartments to your to your zoning. And, you know, so that, that's all very normal and must be navigated. So this is not about telling cities and towns you shall upzone your neighborhoods to provide more opportunities for rooftops to house people. That's that's not what this is about. This is about collaboration. So it's about providing, you know, um, technical assistance for planning because, you know, maybe the Ordings and the Edgewoods and the Stilicums of the world don't have robust housing, offices of housing policy, mm -hmm. right? Like Tacoma mm -hmm. or the county. So how can we bring some policy expertise that more people can share? Um, it is a is one of the practicalities of this, um, and the the collaboration that comes from that. There's there's dollars that I I know you're aware of, Evelyn, that um, come from the state for allocation, whether they be rebates on sales tax or other funding mechanisms that come to the county or come to local governments. So there's thinking about okay, if those dollars are coming locally, can we think more? Um, regionally about where the right investment is instead of just the county taking control of them or just Tacoma taking control of them. Could we have more collaboration about what does that investment look like? How can we leverage it mm -hmm. to, right, to make one plus one equal five uh, with housing dollars? And people like Michael Mira know how to make one plus one equal five with his creativity of financing. So that's the power of collaboration. I, I really believe in it. Um, we're the we're, we got to work hard to show uh, results, but I think the people at the table um, are committed to to showing something for the work and not just making this about talk. Well, that sounds positive. Yeah, in when I've been talking to people, it has become clear that there is kind of a gap in terms of coordinating regionally across the county. So I'm glad that that's a priority. And you're right; it takes a lot of time. Um, and if it's a collaborative and um, cooperative process, then you need buy-in from a lot of people who, you know, may not see the value immediately. So I agree. That's a that's a very good effort. It'll take some use some time for sure. Uh, you know, the other local issue, one of the other local issues I wanted to ask you about was sort of um, the police actions in Tacoma, but I would say also involving the Pierce County Sheriff's Office over the last couple of years. And in particular, of course, I mean the Manny Ellis homicide. 
the recent uh, incident of a Tacoma police officer um, running over bystanders um, who were gathered to watch some street racing in downtown Tacoma. Um, what what do you think about this and what role can the county play regard in regards to policing and, uh, you know, sort of criminal justice reform issues? Yeah. Well, the county has a police force of its own, as you just reminded your listeners, uh, right? The county sheriff's department is the county's uh, police force that not only serves all of unincorporated county, but does contract services with a few cities like University Place. So the county sheriff is the police department for University Place, as an example. So um, they play a really important role, similar to any police department, especially in an urbanized environment where there are where there's lots of touch points with with people, um, and especially a lot of touch points between law enforcement and uh, marginalized, historically marginalized communities like communities of color. So. We, we have, I think, uh, you know, the Sheriff's Department, Pierce County, has all of the same struggles and worries that the city of Tacoma does um, as it relates to community relations with policing. And, you know, all of the, the findings from the reports that are coming to Tacoma uh, around implicit bias, training, um, accountability, all are the same ones at the county sheriff's department. They just are. Um, we believe it or not, we have it in the county. They said I, I didn't. I I didn't lead it. My colleagues, um, Councilmember Campbell, did, um, uh, and and my other predecessor, I think Councilmember Young. But they've uh, they worked to get dash cams and body cams on county uh, sheriff deputies. You know, sooner than. Tacoma Police Department. That, not that it's a race per se, but I, I share that um, note that we're taking it seriously, investing real money into that kind, that element of accountability uh, for the policing division. Um, so that's, uh, I think, supposed to be fully deployed late spring, early summer here in Pierce County. So I think that's a good indicator that we're taking it seriously, literally millions of dollars of, of county funds for for that, for all of the, the body cams and, and all of the operational support to make it all tick. But you know, the, there's the, the hard part is uh, the culture change, right? The, it's, it, the easy part is putting technology on people and figuring out how one gets the records if they wanna see them. That, that's the easy part. And, it's not, it's not easy, but that's the easy part. The hard part is the culture change, right? The, the, implicit, the, the implicit bias, the de-escalation, um, the really changing the model of policing where do we really need to send folks with guns to every incident to you know a homeless en encampment to help support in a homeless encampment or, or a kid doing graffiti on a, on a building? Is someone coming with a, a gun, the right approach? Probably not. Um, healthcare responders, right? The co-responder healthcare, pro the, the co-responder mental health program is one I know the sheriff's department has deployed, uh, has worked really well, needs to be reinvested in and um, further invested in even more. We, we, we need to make that more the norm than, wow, you have a co-responder program? That's interesting. That's so special. Like, no, we got to make it more of the norm. 
uh, that there's folks other than people who are just who are trained to catch bad guys and uh, arrive with a gun and, and react in you know super real time. Um, we we need additional resources in this kind of new environment. So, mm-hmm. well, I'll I'll be I'll be working a lot on that. Um, also working a lot on you know juvenile justice reform. Um, we've recently met with the the director at Riemann Hall. Uh, who does all the youth uh, juvenile justice work. And um, they've been doing phenomenal work really since 2004, where, you know, there used to be close to 200 kids a night, maybe, you know, maybe closer to 160 kids a night at Riemann Hall back in 2004. They're down to 10. Hmm. So like, you know, really looking at the data and seeing, okay, how, and, and reducing recidivism. So those 10, they're, and they're, it's not, you know, it's not that there's, Okay, why are there only 10? Are there just a bunch of kids running around doing bad things? No. Uh, there's 10 because the programs that have been invested in to help get kids to a better life have been working. It, it's, it's expensive, takes a lot of energy, but it's the right thing to do to stop recidivism, to reduce those conflicts between kids and cops um, where there's that potential for things to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um let me ask you this, though. In your contacts with law enforcement, have you got any sense that there is an openness to rethinking the policing question to, you know, taking a look at the culture and maybe, um, you know, changing approaches? Because what I see, which is mostly at a distance is, and mostly it's the police union saying this, but I see a real resistance to any kind of change. And I, I think, you know, you can offer all the training in the world, provide all the technology in the world. And if you, if the individuals who are holding the weapons are resistant to making a change, change won't happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I've done a few ride alongs in my time to try to get a firsthand experience of, uh, what we're asking our law enforcement officers to do. And, you know, I, I can see the stress and I can see, uh, what they go through, you know, the, from their, from some of their perspectives, you know, running from call to call to call where they see, um, you know, from car uh, hijacking to um, shoplifter to domestic violence incident, they're, they're, you know, call to call to call. And in their sort of myopic viewpoint, they're seeing all these bad things happen to innocent people and, you know, they're exhausted. The police officers are exhausted. They're, I think most of them go into the profession to want to improve people's lives, keep their communities safe. Um, I I really think most of them come to the work in a very altruistic, uh, from a very altruistic place, wanting to serve their community. Um, But then, you know, when you look at the data, it, it is absolutely clear that people of color are disproportionately contacted, arrested, prosecuted, convicted, detained, right? Disproportionately. Um, I think that's a systems issue. I don't think individ- I don't think most individual police officers are running around town saying, how do I get all the people of color arrested and round up? Um, but there's certainly implicit bias in all of us, including police officers and the entire system from the prosecutor's office to the judicial branch. And it's, it's a, it, it is a real systems issue when, when you look at the data 
And so I think we need to be asking ourselves, um, yeah, I, yeah, we need to change how we do policing. We, we need, we need to bring other services to the front lines to respond to incidences. 911's first, uh, uh, first thought can't be just send someone out there with, with a gun who's trained in a limited way. You can't expect a police officer or a sheriff's deputy to be 10 professions, right? That's just not realistic. Mm -hmm. So we got to get into a, we got to get to a more sophisticated place where 911 can dispatch different kinds of services for different issues. Um, appropriately. That's a systems change. Um, and we got to really understand what's driving these disproportionate impacts to really get at the systems issues. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about what your particular interests are and what you would like to hope to achieve this year. Okay. Take a short break. This is Doug Mackey, producer at Channel 253 and proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. What are you excited about in 2021? For me, it's travel. Doesn't that sound amazing right now? I spent most of 2020 looking at the same four walls in my studio, so I'm more excited than ever to get out and see the world. I want to sit in a coffee shop in some new city and read a book, or visit a museum, or visit archaeological sites like Tikal in Mexico. Ugh, it feels so good to think of these things. I know there's a lot to get through before some of that will happen. But where last year it was hard to think more than a week in advance, I have the confidence to actually start planning some vacations now. And that's where Alaska Airlines comes in. I'm not going to the travel sites. I go directly to alaskaair.com and book my travel because I want great customer service and direct flights to my favorite destinations. I also trust Alaska to keep me safe during travel right now. Their standards for social distancing and reduced touch travel are incredibly high. So if you're excited as I am about getting out to see the country, or you have to travel for essential work right now, start with Alaska. Do what I do and skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for taking me where I want to go in 2021, and thank you for your support of Channel 253. Hi, this is Evelyn again. Before we get back to our discussion, I just wanted to take a moment out to say, if you are not yet a Channel 253 member, we would love to have you join us. Uh, it is an extremely affordable option, $4 a month or $40 a year. Uh, it helps us fund our production of these podcasts. You, as a member, would get access to the very entertaining off-the-record podcast for members only that our producer Doug puts out. Plus, you get to participate or snoop in the Channel 253 member Slack, which is probably one of the most interesting discussions in Tacoma. So I urge you to consider joining us. All right, Ryan, uh, before the break, I mentioned we wanted to talk about your particular interests. So what would you, what is your area that you really want to focus on and what do you hope to achieve this year? Um, we... Uh, we have a lot. We have a lot to get done. We have a lot that we want to do. Uh, I break them down into uh, a few major areas. Um, the the first is around COVID recovery and a really equitable um, approach to COVID recovery. We talked about a little bit of it uh, already around rental assistance and keeping folks from going into extreme crisis because of the impacts of COVID. Um, I'm really concerned about the inequities of getting vaccine. 
So um, I'm starting to work with the health department and partners about really making sure that folks who don't have a car, who don't speak English, who can't sit on the computer to get their space in line, like they're trying to get share tickets, right? They, they go in like 12 minutes or less, right? To get a, to get a spot for a vac- for one of these mass vaccine uh, slots. Uh, highly inequitable right now about how one can go about getting the vaccine. Yes, a lot of that has to do with um, availability and supply, but a lot of it also has to do with the systems we've set up for how one goes and gets the vaccine. So I'm actually interested in a program where we actually do the reverse, where people just sign up casually, not in a race. You you get on the list and maybe someone comes to you, like mm-hmm. a like a paramedic comes to you because if you don't have a car, don't have the internet, can't get around, doesn't that kind of thing. So um, the, the reverse instead of you going and sitting in line at a, at a mass vaccination clinic. So there's that's one really specific example of what I talk about, the inequities of COVID recovery. So that's a big effort that definitely needs our attention this year. Um, we're working to, secondly, we're, we're working to get the county back on track as it relates to our climate work and sustainability. We're very early on here taking up the sustainability 2030 plan, which is really a greenhouse gas reduction plan. So one of the committees I chair this year for the council is the community development committee, all things land use, zoning, housing, and sustainability. So uh, that was up in committee earlier this week and we're bringing it back to move it through council by early March. So we're really being really aggressive about this. It's a really aggressive plan that aligns with the state of Washington's greenhouse gas reduction targets and really, really specific actions. It's a specific action plan, not just a goal statement. Um, And third, the big body of work in front of us um, is uh, about behavioral health, housing, and homelessness. All those issues are tied together, as as you know, but that's really the third, uh, I think, large body that's going to have my attention this year. How will you know that you are being successful? What do you look for that would make you think, okay, that's, it's good. This is on track. Yeah. Great question. Um, I definitely need to uh, be able to step back, you know, opportunities like this to talk to folks like you who give us opportunities to step back a bit and reflect about what's working and what's not working and have these kinds of critical conversations. These really help. Uh, they force us to think about that because we get, I get into the minutia of that amendment or the, the minutia of everything. And it's often hard to step back and say, okay, is, is this really doing what we intended? Um, I think where I'm going to answer that question of how are, how do we know if we're being successful is all of these things that we're working on, really having clear uh, metrics that we are following, metrics that matter, and, and, and actually setting up systems to follow them for report backs and understanding, are we meeting our goals or not? Number of homeless people in the homeless system, number of income restricted units we are building. Um, transit hours, are they increasing or are they decreasing? A transit ridership, is it increasing? Is it decreasing? Uh, 
climate work is a little bit more difficult because you don't you it's not you know it's not like the unemployment rate where you can just uh, look at a dashboard real quick and see if you're reducing greenhouse gases or not. It, that's a little bit more complicated. Um, but you get my point of having really clear measures and and then um, making staff, you know, creating uh, accountability systems where staff have to come back, report, and then let's be honest with each other. If we're not meeting the goal, let's let's spend some time figuring out what's going to take to meet the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think you have to have the metrics. And I would add in, you have to build in the opportunity and the time to review and adjust. And that's hard to do when you've got a busy pace that you're going. Um, well, what else, what have we not touched on today that you would like to talk about, right? We've got about, you know, a little less than 10 minutes left, 10 minutes or so. What, what else would you like to tell me about what's going on at the county or what your goals are or anything at all? Um, you know, probably two areas that I know are really important to me and others. Um, we, we have a lot of, we, we talked a little bit about affordable housing, but I'd like to be a little bit more specific. And this is where I think the approaches of um, people on the political spectrum can differ. There's some folks who just think we need to rely on, su- we need to increase supply and mm-hmm. a su- supply side solution. Uh, certainly we need more supply of housing, but I, I submit we need a lot more income restricted units. And income-restricted units do not come merely from allowing more areas to develop more densely. That's just not how the the marketplace works. So, um, and these are tough issues because there's a really strong, well-financed lobby trying to stop local government from putting policies in place to have income-restricted units. And some part of the income restricted unit spectrum needs to be highly subsidized by government. It just does. Mm-hmm. But folks at the very low income of the income spectrum who need housing, um, right, people who make 30% of area median income, uh, 50% of the area median income, right? The area median income is in our part of the world is about $56,000. So someone making 50% of that, right? Someone making $28,000 a year, it's not a lot of money. And there's a lot of folks who are at 50% of very median income making $28,000 or less. The private sector, the marketplace isn't building housing for them. Uh, it's not, it, it doesn't, they would never get a, a bank loan to do it, right? It, just, it doesn't make any economic sense to do it. So it, it um, we need both, we need public financing to support nonprofit and those for-profit developers that want to get into housing folks uh, who need that support. Um, we need the money to do it and we need the political will to, to generate the revenue. So, and, and then as you move across the spectrum, right, people making 80% of area median income, so 80% of $56,000, maybe it's not subsidized housing, but uh, you know, the, the, the term of art is inclusionary zoning, saying that, okay, you're building a 20-unit complex. Well, five of those units must be for people who make 80% of the area median income. That's this notion mm-hmm. of inclusionary zoning. A, a portion must be set aside for people at a specific price point. That's been incredibly difficult to pull off in any 
local government, even Seattle, Washington, even Portland, Oregon, even San Francisco. Uh, the, the, those are very difficult policies to advance. But when you look at the numbers of the, of the number of units we need across the income spectrum, I'm absolutely convinced uh, the, the just letting the marketplace try to solve the problem is not a solution. Mm-hmm. So a lot of work to do there with mm-hmm. generating income restricted units. And there's lots of things we need to do. There's not one policy we're going to do that's going to get at that. It's a very complicated space, but it's a necessary space to really bear down in. Yeah. I'll note, I was just doing some calculations uh, on the side. If you make the, if you make a $15 an hour wage, which you know, is sort of what we're hoping for is our minimum wage, $15 an hour, which sounds really generous. If you're thinking back on, gee, when I first started working, the minimum wage was, you know, $2 and something, but it's not that generous because if you work 40 hours a week making minimum wage, you will make $28,800 a year before any deductions, before any taxes, before anything. You will be lucky to take home around $2,000 a month, you will probably take home something closer to $1,800 a month. If you have to pay taxes out of that, I mean, if you have to pay a rent that's a market rate rent, you can't do it. Can't do it, it. Is, it is impossible to do it. And we're talking people who are fully employed at a high minimum wage, higher than many other states in our country. It's just not possible. Yep. Now, I, I would say, you know, the building community will support um, public funding building. I mean, the building community wants to build. Mm-hmm. If it's a, you know, a, a beautiful plan like a, like a Salishan for all kinds of income levels, they are there with you. They will build it. But getting that public funding, we just haven't been able to get it yep. in the last few years. Uh, well, for quite a few years now. In the, in the marketplace, in the private market, I don't think you're ever going to get there. Because, you know, every private builder has the same costs, right? They've got labor and materials. They can't cut. So their profit is in building a a set of apartments that rents at the high market rate. That's their return. If you're asking them to rent below market rate, well, their startup costs, you're, you're basically saying to the building community, please be good and generous and work at a loss. And their answer is, I wish I could. You, right? you just, you, yeah, you just explained really well how complicated this issue is. It, it's fundamentally economics, absolutely. And yeah. so that's why this notion of inclusionary zoning is such that everything you just explained, okay, if you can build four floors today as a, as a builder and barely make it, as you just said, because of the labor costs and the cost of the land and the cost of the materials, okay, four, four stories of, of an apartment, I can Barely, I can barely make it work as a developer for my loan costs and all the rest of it. So the notion of inclusionary zoning is, okay, the government says, we'll let you build one more story. Right. And a portion of that one more story needs to be affordable. You can make a profit on a few of the others on the one more story because you're taking a risk. But a portion of these units on this one more story must be income restricted. Mm-hmm. That, that's so you got to get to your point. You, you, they have all these costs to, to build. So you got to give them the opportunity to make more money. And a portion of that more money is income restricted. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, it's just not going to get you the number of units as quickly as you need it. Yeah. Yeah. But 
Well, uh, keep working on it. It's so, <laughs> it's so important, Ryan. And you know the stuff and you know the people. Um, I think, you know, you're more likely to be able to find some find some corners of agreement and some corners of success than a lot of other people might be able to. We got to keep at it. The, the last thing I would mention, mm-hmm. I know we're short on time, but the, the last thing I know is really important to many of us, uh, and I know you've been educating folks for a long time about it, uh, is the behavioral health tax revenue, right? Um, Pierce County, at the end of last year, uh, passed a behavioral health tax, but with a poison pill, saying that we would need the, in order, before the county started collecting a dime of the behavioral health tax, which by the way, is going to generate $14 million a year for really critical behavioral health services that currently do not exist in the county. Not a dime of this is collected today and invested in today. But the poison pill said that before the county collects a dime, the county must go through this whole Medicaid transformation, completely transform how Pierce County does Medicaid by April 15th. And if they don't go through this Medicaid transformation, continue just completely turning Medicaid upside down in Pierce County, um, if they don't if they don't figure that out and get the approvals from the state of Washington, from the state healthcare authority, this is null and void. All deals are off. It's null and void. The ordinance is done. Oh, I so, didn't realize that. I mean, is that even doable? Is that even? No, it's, it's absolutely not yeah. doable. No. Um, the state of Washington left. So do I think people do I think people uh, are trying to do the right thing? I think so. I, I I think I think there are some folks who come at the issue altruistically who say, eh, could, could Medicaid be delivered more efficiently? Sure, but it, Evelyn, I'm not a Medicaid expert, but I, I can tell you that Medicaid is incredibly complicated and it's not going to be reformed and in, you know, by April 15th, 2021, that's just laughable. So is, is there room for improvement? Could there be a study uh, with the state of Washington? You know, Medicaid's a statewide mm-hmm. program delivered by, on behalf of the federal government, right? It's super complicated. Should there be a study, an ongoing conversation? Absolutely, but not tied to these incredibly necessary local behavioral health resources that yeah. we've gone without for well over a decade since we've gotten the authority from the state of Washington. So I'm so going to be... You, how do you fix that? I mean, how do you get around that then? Well, that was a self-imposed poison pill. Right, right. So, so do you have a... Put out a new ordinance that yeah. you passed? Yeah, we'll put out a new... We'll, dis, we'll detangle the two issues. If folks still want to study Medicaid uh, reform, then um, let's go study that. But let's get on with it uh, and get the revenues for the behavioral health services that are critical. Mm. I didn't even know about that one, Ryan. That's huge. That's really important. Yeah. All right. Well, that is, uh, I want to let you go. I know you've got another meeting to get to. Thank you so much for talking with us today. And we may have you back uh, in a few months and see how things are going. I would love that. Thanks for taking the time, Evelyn. All right. Thank you. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. 
Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounders B Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.